Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. That was a bit of a break. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a minute. A minute? It yeah. was a minute, as the kids would say. I was gone for, what, almost a, a month and a week? So, yeah, five weeks. <laughs> Seemed a lot longer. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't. Or, should I say, it didn't seem long enough, Mike. Oh, I think it seemed a long time to some of our listeners who have been harassing me to ensure that we have a new episode. They, they've all been jonesing. They're as at all at home, sitting, shaking, curled up. We we sent our, our listeners to detox. <laughs> we did. We did. Dark poutine. They detoxed from dark poutine. Well, we're going to get them addicted again. Yes, I'm, we are. I'm going to in- inject you suckers. <laughs> so welcome back. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Emanway. Well, hello, everybody. Why, hello. We have a, a bit of a new sound set up, so I think... We're going to get some groovier sound out of this. Yeah, I did some practicing, and you might, like, even if I rub my eyes, you can probably hear it, so. Yeah, you could probably hear a mouse fart at yeah. 300 yards. So I'm trying to sit as static as possible. Did you hear that, boy? I didn't. Okay, good. I still have to do some other uh, modifications to the studio here, but we're on our way. Yeah, it's looking great, sounding great. I love the new gear. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish, as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Strongly. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians interested in crime and the darker side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Here we are. We're back for episode 38 of Dark Poutine. Before we begin, I wanted to say a happy 20th anniversary to my wife, Carol. We had uh, we celebrated 20 years together, uh, married, all in a row, yesterday. Jeez, wow. Wowzers. Most tolerant wife ever. Yes. Love you, Mrs. B. The years have literally flown by. I bet they have. We want to start out by thanking our regular subscribers. And welcome our new listeners. We appreciate that you're filling your ears with our dark poutine. 
I was reminded of this story while I visited my birth mom on my recent trip back east. She lives in Berwick, a sleepy little town around 2,400 people in the middle of Nova Scotia's picturesque Annapolis Valley. Hmm, sounds picturesque. It's beautiful there. They proudly call themselves the Apple capital of Nova Scotia. Is that because they sell the most like iPhones? No. Huh. It was the actual fruit, the apple. Oh, oh they, those are... Those are things? Yes. Oh, okay. Although the fruit industry no longer drives the town's economy, they still call themselves that. Oh, well, good. What drives the economy is a chicken processing plant and the Michelin Tire plant in Waterville, only six kilometers away. Mm, okay. Still, apples and artwork based on apples decorate the town, even down to a giant apple replica on the lawn of the fire hall as you enter the town from the highway. Wow. It's held up by a metal post that my DNA mom... Diane says is just a little too short, and I agree. It looks like a stubby little apple <laughs> because it's there's this big open space, and it's the apple's not very tall. Mm, well, Should be taller. Well, well, let's send a memo. Berwick, get on it. Yeah, make that apple taller. Show your pride. Sternly worded letters coming your Sternly way. Sternly worded. Would that be a great band name? Sternly worded letters. Yeah, or maybe a good album. Sure, also that. Yeah. Berwick is one of those small towns that keeps on going despite adversity, thanks in large part to a spirit of pride in the community that all residents seem to possess. Beautiful. This is evident in a brand new town hall and their modern $2.5 million fire station and community hall built by creative fundraising, a provincial government grant, and the tenacity of Berwick's residents in seeing things through. Awesome. While some other Nova Scotia towns are failing, Berwick's determination to survive was highlighted on CBC's show Still Standing. And that show is dedicated to showing small Canadian communities overcoming adversity in more and more uncertain economic conditions. Oh, this sounds like a pretty cool show. It is. Uh, so they were on season one, episode five. Mm. And how many seasons are there of that show now? I don't know. I think they're done. Oh, it's still standing, may not be still standing. <laughs> Just going to say that. <laughs> oh, the irony. I had to do it. You did. For Berwick to be the setting of such a horrendous crime as the one we're going to talk about here was surprising, and the folks in the town still feel a level of horror and embarrassment that it happened there. <laughs> I'm intrigued. At around 1.45 a.m. on the morning of October 23rd, 2013, a pair of newspaper delivery people James Harvey and Shannon Taylor were packaging the newspapers for the morning delivery at the Petrocanada on Berwick's main drag, Commercial Street. At 1.58 a.m., across the street, they saw two young men hurrying toward the Needs Convenience Store slash Irving Gas Station. They were carrying what was described as an empty windshield washer fluid jug. One man in a dark hoodie waited at the gas pump while the other wearing a distinctive plaid jacket went inside, presumably to pay for gas because you have to prepay before you can pump. Mm -hmm. Inside the store, the man in the plaid jacket reportedly tells Tyler Hansen, the clerk on duty, my truck ran out of gas and I'm having a shitty night. Hansen did not see the second man at the far pump. James Harvey was particularly interested, he's one of the newspaper folks, mm -hmm. when the man at the pumps began to fill the jug with gasoline, as Harvey knew that gasoline should not go into anything but a regulation gas can. It's true, it's true. After filling the jug with what later turned out to be $10 worth of gas, the pair hurried off, 
north on Commercial Street in the direction of the Foodland Grocery Store just a block away. Surveillance tapes from the businesses in the area later seized by the RCMP showed an orange glow emanating from the street area close to Foodland at around 2 a.m. At 2.09 a.m., Terry Jodry, who was working the overnight at Foodland on Commercial Street, called 911. The bus shelter on the street in front of the store was on fire. Hmm. Jodry, horrified at the thought, mentioned that a man who was well-known to live on the street in Berwick, Harley Lawrence, would often sleep in the shelter. Although something in the shelter was burning, it was not immediately clear that Harley Lawrence was inside at the time of the blaze. Mm-hmm. At around 2.10, Shannon Taylor, the other newspaper person, is ready to begin delivering papers, and she's turning out north, out of the Petro-Canada, heading in the direction of this fire. Mm-hmm. She sees a fireman in his vehicle speeding by her, heading in the same direction. So she followed. You know, it's yeah. a small town. What's going on? Oh, I'm sure even in a large town, you see that. It could be something that uh, pulls you in. Shannon drove the block to Foodland and sees the bus shelter in flames. She pulled into the Foodland parking lot and she called her delivery partner, James, telling him about the fire. She said, you got to come down here. The bus shelter is on fire. Jeez. Shannon took some photos with her cell phone of the fire in which you can see bright orange flames engulfing the interior of the metal and glass structure. And the flames were about halfway up the structure inside. Hmm. Hmm. Shannon knew that Harley Lawrence often slept there. She would pass him sleeping on her early morning paper route. Her thoughts, too, were for Harley, and she hoped that he wasn't in the shelter or that he'd escaped. This was not the case. Oh, shit. Volunteers with the Berwick Fire Department, awakened by their loud pagers screaming of a structure fire at 223 Commercial Street, leapt from their beds and attended quickly, putting out the blaze. Amid the melted steel, plastic, and shattered tempered glass lay charred human remains. The blaze had been so intense, all the clothes had been burned from the body, and it was later identified by way of fingerprints to be that of Harley Lawrence. Oh, that's sad. RCMP and fire inspectors began their investigation right away. What had caused the blaze? The smell of gasoline was overwhelming. Harley Lawrence's body was facing east. Lawrence had been known to sleep north to south in the shelter. And this led police to believe that he'd been trying to escape the inferno, but was overcome. Oh, man. Like, like life as a homeless person is challenging enough. Yeah. RCMP, whose closest detachment was in New Minas, arrived sometime later. They immediately talked to witnesses Terry Jodry, Shannon Taylor, and James Harvey. Shannon and James recounted their sightings of two young men pumping gas into an unregulated container just minutes before the blaze broke out and that these two had left in that direction. It was big news in the small town as word spread quickly that there had been a fire where Harley slept. Harley Gordon Lawrence was born and raised in the community of Hansport on September 26, 1951, making him 62 at the time of his death. In his youth, he worked in the farming community, as did many young men in those days. He loved the outdoors and the woods, as Harley grew up, he became increasingly paranoid and began to distance himself from his family. He didn't trust them anymore. Uh. There's no hard evidence that Harley Lawrence suffered any addictions, like drug addiction or alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is felt that his mental illness is what kept him on the street and out of a home his family would have gladly provided for him. Yeah, highly likely. That's uh, usually... Uh, mental health plays some role in a lot of homelessness. So. Absolutely, and we'll talk more about that. Yeah. 
Harley had drifted from town to town for most of his adult life and had made Berwick his latest stop in spring the year before he died. Harley was a fixture on Commercial Street. Those who took the time to speak to him found him sometimes friendly, sometimes a little grumpy, and a little bit odd. Yeah. Some folks provided Harley with food and clothing, but typically he refused help, telling people to mind their own business. Yep. Some whispered he was a nuisance, making the town look bad as he sat out in front of the business's panhandling. Yeah. I mean, he was their first, quote, homeless person there. Yeah, it sounds harmless, though. A couple of complaints had been lodged against him with police for his, quote, vagrancy. But as it's not a crime in Canada to be homeless, nothing could be done. If Harley chose to live outside, he darn well could. Yep. A local newspaper, the Kings County Register, interviewed Harley just days before his death on Commercial Street. Sitting on all he owned, a sleeping bag, blankets, and a plastic can he panhandled with. Harley claimed he had come to Berwick due to dispute with the town over a stolen truck. The claims have been unsubstantiated, and it was assumed the story was concocted by Harley in his sickness. Yeah. Also, on the 23rd of October, a local resident, having heard what the persons of interest in the case had been wearing, found a red and black plaid jacket stuffed under one of her bushes. She called the police who came by. They seized the jacket and immediately went to have any possible DNA on it matched against the National Crime Registry. Surveillance footage showed two men in the area and a plastic jug in hand near the time of the fire, mm. but nothing of the bus shelter directly. Mm. So... Everything was around the bus yeah, shelter. Yeah. It also noted that immediately after the fire was thought to have been set, they were running in opposite directions of one another. Mm, okay. From the surveillance footage in the Needs slash Irving store, officers tentatively identified Daniel Wayne Surrett, 26, as the man in the plaid red and black jacket. Police were very familiar with Surrett, whose 40 adult convictions ranged from drug offenses to assault. Geez, well, there's a lot of uh, great things about small towns and some challenges as well. Like if you're a criminal, you're much easier to identify because it's such a small community. So, Thankfully. Yeah. Police wanted to confirm the identities of Surrett and the other man at the gas station, so they had dozens of interviews to do. One on the top of the list was Daniel Wayne Surrett, of course. However, he was denying any knowledge of the crime. He claimed he hadn't left the house all night. His mother, Becky, and his girlfriend, Alicia Hazelton, and housemate, Kyle McKenzie, all initially backed up his alibi. Okay. Interesting. But, but I'm, you know, take that for what it's worth when it's your girlfriend and your mom is your corroborating uh alibi witnesses but okay yeah he was asked directly whether he had anything to do with the fire and claimed outright that he had nothing to do with it on october 24th 2013 an autopsy was performed on the badly burned body of harley lawrence the cause of death was listed as thermal and inhalation injury so he died as a direct result of the fire yeah so not smoke inhalation no actual fire yeah uh, wow so he was burned to death. Yeah. The same day, to Berwick's horror, after the notification of his estranged family, police announced that the burn body was indeed that of Harley Lawrence. Mm. RCMP Victim Services and Annapolis Valley Mental Health Services made themselves available for counseling, support, and referrals for distraught residents of Berwick and first responders at the Kings County Mutual Century Center and the Berwick Fire Hall, because apparently some of the firemen who had attended were, were quite disturbed by the gruesome scene i can i can imagine that would be quite the disturbing thing to uh see 
The town was devastated, of course. Yeah. The fact that such a horrible thing could happen in the tiny, close-knit community was hard to believe. Denial set in for some. They thought perhaps Harley had accidentally set fire to himself while trying to stay warm. Okay. Evidence, however, was pointing to some more sinister activity. The biggest question that anyone had, short of who did this to Harley, was why on earth would they do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering. We'll take a quick break here. Berwick residents quickly planned a memorial for Harley Lawrence, inviting his family and all others interested in attending. The memorial took place on the 26th of October in 2013, only, tw only three days after Harley's death. It provided a place for the entire community to come and express their grief over what had happened to the harmless man who sat on their main street for all those months. Mm -hmm. A somber candlelight vigil for Harley was held in the Foodland parking lot just opposite the bus shelter, now surrounded by police tape where Harley had died. Someone who knew Harley well was the pastor of the Open Arms Ministry in Kentville, John Andrew. He said some kind words about Harley Lawrence having ministered to him and his family over the past eight years. Hmm. Pastor Andrew mentioned Harley loved his privacy and could be grumpy at times, which brought some lighthearted giggles from family and friends in attendance. He also said that it was Harley's illness that prevented him from seeking help he so desperately needed. Yeah, oh, you mentioned earlier uh, paranoia and stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. Don Clark, Berwick's mayor, attended and expressed his pride in the town's response to the tragedy. As well, a concrete bench was presented to the town that would be part of a permanent memorial to Harley Lawrence. At the end of the memorial, members of Harley's family released balloons with the townsfolk, saying... Soar high, Harley. The phrase had also been printed onto t-shirts sold at the event to raise money for Harley's memorial and to give to the open arms program operating out of the Catholic Church. On October 28, 2013, Daniel Wayne Surrett entered the Needs slash Irving store. He began to aggressively question the clerk working there, Samuel Jones. Hmm. He was upset that someone had said it was him on the video the night of the fire. Surrett said it was not him in the video. Okay. What Daniel Surrett did not know at the time was that Samuel Jones was the one who'd identified him from the video in the first place. <laughs> now that he'd come in again, Samuel was even more sure and let the police know about the incident. Jeez. So here he is. It's kind of like he feels so like he's going to get busted, so he's got to go in and, and do a song and dance. Yeah, but return he's... Return to the scene of the crime. You know, it's just another example of uh, uh, criminals being stupid. And it, it just makes them look even worse. Yeah. But that's kind of... That's what happens with a lot of criminals. Isn't that funny? Yeah. On November 2nd, 2013, Becky Surrett called the police. Her son Daniel was drunk and out of control. As per conditions from previous convictions, he was supposed to avoid alcohol, adhere to a curfew... Practice good behavior and maintain the peace. Hmm. Not doing so well on that front, Daniel. No. RCMP attended and found Daniel Wayne Surrett in a rage. The house was in disarray, broken items lay strewn about, and Daniel was bleeding from his face and hands. Sounds like a decent chap. As he was in breach of his conditions, Surrett was arrested and taken into custody. As the RCMP were preparing to leave, 
Surratt broke into tears, telling his mother he loved her and he, that he wanted a hug. <laughs> he said he believed he would not ever have another opportunity to do so after this. Well, damn near a confession right there. When she refused, Daniel screamed, you don't know what I've done. Fuck it. I torched the Berwick bum. Jeez. Okay. Wow. So that is actually a confession. That, that, that <laughs> gone from close to, yeah. to a. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Daniel Wayne Surrett was rearrested on the spot for the murder of Harley Gordon Lawrence. He was then transported to holding in New Minas for further questioning. When RCMP questioned him at the detachment, Surrett recanted his confession saying police had taken what he'd said, quote, out of context. Uh, okay. Again, he, he claimed he was not responsible for Harley Lawrence's death and gave no other useful information. Hmm. Well, okay. I believe him. Absolutely. He yep. sounds like a fine, upstanding gentleman with his 40 other convictions as Absolutely. Well. And bloody knuckles and face and, and then the saying home that he smashed. Did the, I didn't smash the house. But the, he also said that he did it. Yeah. Well, there is that. There is that. So what do you think happened to him that day? Well, released and continued uh, living a productive and healthy life. Well, I don't know about that, but he was released oh, without geez. charge that day. Uh, police had taken Surrett's absence as an opportunity to interview his girlfriend, however, uh, Ashley Hazelton, without him around. Mm, okay. While they were questioning him, they were talking to her. She told a different story than the first one she had, now believing that Surrett was talking because that's what the police told her. Aha. Uh -huh. Hazelton admitted that Surrett and his pal, Kyle David Fredericks, also known as Trippy, were drunk and left the house to go out somewhere on the night of Harley Lawrence's death. She claimed then she did not know where they were going. Hmm. However, when the two returned in the wee hours of the morning, they smelled of gasoline. They were visibly upset and immediately both had showers. Not suspicious at all. No. When she asked about the RCMP vehicles all over the neighborhood, Surrett eventually said, I lit him on fire. Hmm. Ashley had overheard Surrett and Fredericks talking, and Surrett said to Fredericks that he should deny everything that Daniel Surrett would take the fall. Hmm. Okay. If it came down to it. Yep. A few days after the fire, Fredericks himself asked Ashley whether she'd talked to police about him when they first came sniffing around, and she admitted she had not. Now the cops had two suspects. They know they're on the right track, so they have Daniel Wayne Surrett, 26, and Kyle David Fredericks, 25, who go to the top of the suspect list. Yeah, rightly so. Fredericks had a share of trouble with police, too. You don't say. Oh, no, this but is this is an interesting one, too. It's breaking norms here. He'd been acquitted of a charge of criminal negligence causing death earlier in 2013 after a man he'd known OD'd on alcohol and Dilaudid that Fredericks had allegedly given him. Hmm. The source of the drug had not been proven, and the case was thrown out. During the time between the charge and the acquittal, though, Fredericks had escaped custody twice, only to be recaptured in Berwick. Hmm. Nice fellow. Yeah, sounds, uh, sounds like it. Yeah. People in Berwick called these two troublemakers shit rats. <laughs> sounds pretty appropriate. Yeah. It was no surprise when rumors started to swirl about who was likely involved in Harley's death. In my not-so-humble opinion, both have punch-me faces of the Travis Vader variety. Yeah, I haven't seen their faces yet, but if you're linking them to Travis Vader, I want to punch their face. 
Open, there's a photo. Yeah, no, that's definitely punch me face. Those are definitely punch me faces. Yeah. We're looking at a couple yeah. of photos of these guys yeah. here. Thank you, Internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, that smugs. Oh. Yeah. In November, RCMP began to employ their Mr. Big technique. Here we go. First focusing on Daniel Wayne Surrett. In just the first meeting with undercover police, Surrett told operatives that he thought Harley Lauren, who appeared to arrive out of nowhere, was a rat. That he was faking his condition to keep an eye on things going on in town. Surrett had said that someone had seen Harley going into the bank, and someone else had seen him on a cell phone. Oh, interesting. Yeah. In December, however, Surrett was arrested on outstanding warrants from unrelated crimes and sentenced to six months in custody. Good, get him off the streets. Also in December, the DNA results from the red and black plaid jacket found under a bush came back, and they indicated that Daniel Wayne Surrett had indeed been wearing the coat. Mm -mm. They had his DNA from previous crimes. I'm not sure which ones, but typically they don't ask for your DNA if you stole a motorcycle or something like that, so it could have been, sounds like it could have been something pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Cops switched their Mr. Big Focus to Kyle David Fredericks. Trippy. Trippy. I'm thinking because... With his pencily little beard. I'm assuming it's not because of drug use. I would assume it is exactly because of oh, drug use. Oh, yeah. I thought maybe he just had balance issues. Uh, Trippy, not the sharpest tool in the shed, uh, began talking to undercover operatives and over the next few months made several incriminating statements implicating himself and Daniel Wayne Surrett in the death of Harley Lawrence. Hmm. From the agreed statement of facts presented in court later, Kyle Fredericks admitted the following. He and Surrett, when they were drinking, would go around town and light fires and get the cops running around. Didn't they have cable? <laughs> yeah, well, there is cable Jeez. there. One night they had been at Surrett's house drinking and went out to do the same thing. They went to Needs Gas Station, Frederick's Pump Gas, and Surrett went to pay for the gas. When they were going to get the gas, there were a couple across the street in a road waiting to do the flyers, so mm -hmm. they noticed the other people across the street. Yeah. The gas was put in a plastic jug they brought from Surrett's house, and Frederick's put 10 bucks a gas in the jug. How big was this jug, or how expensive is gas out there in 2003? 13. 2013. 2000. Oh, uh, well, still, that's a lot. 10 bucks is still a lot of gas for a jug. Surratt wanted to light up the homeless guy. Mm. Fredericks had the jug and gave it to Surratt. They went to the bus shelter, and he was right there. Surratt poured gas all over him, lit the fire with a lighter, and then took off. Jesus. Fredericks stood there and watched it all happen. When the gas was poured over the homeless guy, he didn't move at all. They lit him up and he did not run around or anything else. He just laid there. He had been laying on the ground with a little bag with some blankets in his sleeping bag. When the fire was lit, Fredericks was so close he had to back up because of the heat. After they lit him on fire, they stood there for a second, expecting him to run around, but he didn't. They took off running. They both got rid of the clothes they were wearing. Fredericks heard the police had picked up the jacket that Surrett had been wearing, an old plaid farmer's jacket. When they took off, they ran in different directions. They met up again right after the fire, about five minutes later. They met up at Surrett's house. When they got back, Fredericks, Surrett, Hazelton, Surrett's mom, and Kyle McKenzie were all at the house. He and Surrett both showered to get rid of the smell of gas 
and Sorette was also doing things in the house to get rid of the smell. It was a couple of weeks after the fire, Fredericks had got rid of the jug they used for gas. It had been sitting on Sorette's porch. Fredericks told Sorette to get rid of it, but Sorette never did, so he took it and threw it into a ditch up the mountain out of town. Hmm. Fredericks came to the conclusion that in order to save himself from getting a lengthy jail sentence, he needed to get rid of Sorette. What a good pal. Yeah, I would do that for you, Mike. <laughs> get rid of me? <laughs> for you. I don't understand. Yeah, he's doing it for his buddy. It's a good buddy. He's going to get rid of his good buddy. Yeah. And I would do that for you. Uh, I'm scared now. You should be. So all that was from the uh, agreed statement of facts. So these are things that he told undercover police operatives. So pretty much his goose is cooked. Yeah. He even went so far as to reenact the crime with the undercover officers, much like Penny Boudreaux had in the her infamous murder of her daughter in Bridgewater, just 100 kilometers away. Hmm. Uh, he took police where he disposed of the clothes he'd been wearing, and he provided them with the black hoodie that he'd been wearing that night. So here you go, undercover police officer. Here's the evidence you need to convict me. Yeah, handing it right over. On February 10th, 2014, the conscience of an ex-girlfriend of Surrett's, Sabrina Ketty, had gotten to her. She came into the New Miners RCMP detachment with her folks to talk about what she knew regarding Harley Lawrence's death. <laughs> she told police that Sorette and Fredericks had been at her, at her house on the night Harley Lawrence had died, and the two men had brought marijuana, Dilaudid, and they also had cocaine and MDMA. What is Dilaudid? Uh, it's a very powerful painkiller. Oh, okay. Supposed to be uh, quite amazing. <laughs> I'm told. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd never even heard of it, so. The pair was at her place getting high until about 1.30 a.m. when they left, which was unusual. They typically would just stay and crash there. Yeah. Sabrina said that afterwards, Sorette had admitted on at least seven occasions that he was the one who burned Harley Lawrence alive. Moron. He said it was him who'd bought the gas and Fredericks had pumped it, and that the clothes he'd worn that night had been burned. Well, not all, because they got your jacket. Exactly. On April 24th, 2013, when Sorette was released from custody on the unrelated matters, he was met by undercover police and Fredericks. Hmm. They all talked together about the death of Harley Lawrence. This is on the day he gets out of jail. Yeah, interesting. Sorette incriminated himself right away. He was asked whether he wore gloves when they had the jug with them. Sorette said he didn't recall wearing gloves, but the jug had been dealt with. Sorette said he'd got rid of all his clothes and stuffed his jacket under a bush. That's true. There was the jacket that they had. And he's saying this to an officer? Undercover officers. They're still doing the Mr. Big thing. Yeah, yeah. His buddy's saying, hey, while you've been away, we've been doing this gotcha. stuff. And they want to know more about what we did before I, they trust us. I gotcha. Which, I mean, you know, meeting two strangers, it, the right thing to do immediately is to start incriminating yourself. Especially to murder Exactly. Hey, guys, so I murdered somebody. Hello, new friend with the very well-coiffed hair and mustache. <laughs> do you want to hear about what I've done? Ugly. Yeah. Criminals are idiots. There was talk about who owned the lighter and who lit the fire. Sorette said he'd given the lighter back to Fredericks after. He also admitted taking the jug from Fredericks before the fire began at the front of the bus shelter. Hmm. Surratt cockily related that he was told by a friend at Needs slash Irving that the video was not clear and he couldn't be identified. Hmm. So it sounds like he's saying, ah, don't worry about me. 
Yeah, they you can can't, trust me. They can't pin they this can't, on yeah, me. They can't catch me. That night, Daniel Wayne Surrett was arrested at his mother's apartment for the murder of Harley Lawrence again. Uh, In custody the next day, Surrett began to talk. I guess, you know, all the evidence that they presented to him was overwhelming. Yep. He and Fredericks were drinking at his house. Surrett received a text from Sabrina Ketty requesting that he attend her residence and to bring some weed. He and Fredericks went to Ketty's residence, smoked a joint, drank some beer, and then left to go back to Surrett's house. At the house, Surrett and Fredericks changed their clothes and left the house with a kerosene jug that was in the house. So maybe maybe it was bigger than a... Um, yeah, I'm picturing like an antifreeze jug or sure. something, but I guess it's bigger than that. Somewhere between the Irving and the bus shelter, it came up. Surrett wasn't sure who said it first, but they said, fuck it, yeah, let's do it. When asked by Sergeant Richardson what he meant, Surrett replied, set the guy on fire. Surrett confirmed that Fredericks gave him the $10 to pay for the gas. They went to the needs to get the gas. Surrett knew the guy at the gas station, and he told him that his truck broke down, that he needed gas. He poured the entire container of gas on Lawrence. When asked who lit him on fire, Surrett wasn't sure and said it was one of them, him or Fredericks. Well, no, no shit. When asked why he set Lawrence on fire, Surrett stated that he thought Lawrence was a cop. After lighting the fire, they stayed there for a period of time, watching until Kyle said they should go. They ran away, going in different directions, and Surrett hid his jacket in a bush. He and Fredericks met up at Surrett's house, and they had a shower. Um, perhaps, I don't want to make that remark. Cause, I've, I've had to resist yeah. every time you've mentioned it. Okay. Surrett gave his clothes to Fredericks, who was supposed to burn them. Surrett told Ketty, Hazleton, and his mother, and some close friends what had happened. Surrett asked Hazleton, his mother, and Kyle McKenzie to lie for him, saying that they should say he was home all night that night. So there you have it. Yep. He even wrote out an apology letter to Harley's family at the time. Oh, oh fuck off. But that's typically what uh, RCMP will get you to do because mm -hmm. you'll admit more details in your apology letter. Oh, that's interesting. No, yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Makes sense. He, too, reenacted the crime but stopped short of admitting that it was him who lit the fire, you know, blaming Fredericks instead. Mm -hmm. And you remember earlier he was overheard telling Fredericks that he would take the fall. I guess when it comes uh, time to actually man up, he... He couldn't do that. Who would have thought a murderer like this would also be a liar? Lion sack Jeez. of poop. Wow. wow. Surprise. Yeah. Fredericks was picked up on April 25th, 2014 as well, and he too was charged with first-degree murder of Harley Lawrence. Fredericks' interview with police confirmed pretty much all that Surrett had told them except who'd lit the fire. Another friend, Kyle McKenzie, the housemate, had a weird interaction with Surrett on the night of the fire from some court documents. Mackenzie said he was asleep and that Daniel Surrett woke him up. Daniel Surrett was standing in front of him wearing a t-shirt and he was soaking wet. Mackenzie recalled Surrett seemed messed up and recounted Surrett telling him words to the effect, the bum's on fire, I lit the bum on fire. Fucking hell. All these people that knew about this and didn't say anything... Yeah, and, you know, and I don't think you can really lump the excuse of, well, I thought I was in danger if I were to come forward, because this is just like two morons, uh, shall we say, 
having a fun night in their minds. And so they, you, their friends must not have felt in danger and they just didn't want to come forward. Sure, they're just covering for yeah, their buddies. exactly. Despicable. Even Surratt's mother, Becky, rolled over on him, again from court documents. Ms. Surratt said that she was later woken up in her second floor bedroom by Daniel Surratt. She said Daniel was wearing a t-shirt and PJ pants and he had wet hair. She says Daniel Surrett told her he'd done something bad to the bum. Becky Surrett said that she went downstairs, and at that time, Kyle Fredericks was in the shower, and emergency vehicle lights could be seen just up the road from their home in the direction of the Foodland store. Oh, jeez. It's a very small town. Yeah. Like, you can, you can walk it in probably 20 minutes. Oh, wow, okay. It's very small. Wow. The two did, however plead not guilty to the first-degree murder charge, and thus the legal wrangling began. Mm -hmm. News reporters showed up to see the monsters being perp-walked into the courthouse in Kentville at every hearing. Daniel Wayne Surrett would flip off reporters or wink, smirk, and nod at the cameras. Yeah, we saw, I saw that smirk. Kyle Fredericks often looked pained and angry. Mm -hmm. Eventually... At a hearing, the two pled guilty to the lesser charge of second-degree murder. Victim impact statements by the family were read into evidence. Mm. One of Harley's brothers had since died of a heart attack that the family believed was brought on by the stress of these events. Oh, that's terrible. Surratt, who'd wanted to speak, said he knew what the pair did was, quote, fucked up, and that he was sorry for it. Well, that seems so sincere. Yeah. Fredericks, who had indicated that he didn't want to speak, now wanted to talk. The judge denied his request. Okay. Yeah, you didn't want to talk. You didn't have anything prepared. We're not interested in listening to your unprepared <laughs> yeah, statement. Of yeah. You rambling. Yeah, and I get that. And the family doesn't need that either. No. Both men were sentenced to life in prison. Daniel Wayne Surrett is not eligible for parole until he served 20 years. And Kyle David Fredericks is eligible for parole after serving 18 years. <laughs> On the way out of the courtroom after sentencing, Daniel Wayne Surrett is asked how he feels about his sentence, and he cockily shouts over his shoulder as he's being whisked away, I hope it gives the family some closure. What a dick. Uh, here's some audio of Ron Lawrence, Harley's brother, immediately after the sentencing hearing. You have nightmares at night and stuff like that, and it affects your work. It, it affects a lot of things. What do you feel about the judge obviously imposing the life sentence, but the, the eligibility for parole? What do you think about that? Um, life sentence is the good part. Uh, eligibility for parole, like you said, that's when they can start applying for it, but that doesn't necessarily they're getting out. Because once you get in the system, and it depends how you act in the next 18, 20 years, that's a long time. And if you uh, don't do what you're told or or uh, don't keep your nose clean, which they have a tendency not to do what he's to, and the, uh, you'll be there for a long time. So I'm not worried about that. What do you think about the sentence? Um, for the overall part of it, it was, uh, it was good to plead guilty to second, because it involves a lot less people going to court, and then you involve more people. Sometimes you got to step back and look at the bigger picture and uh, see what's best for the family and everybody else involved. Do you feel they're remorseful? I mean, you heard um, you heard Surratt speak. You were, apparently they wrote you apology letters. What do you think about that? What do you make of that? Um, at this point, it was uh, it, it was uh, 
don't know if they were told to do it or not, but it helps them on their end. But it doesn't change nothing the way I feel about it. You don't accept the apologies? No. Harley's tombstone near his birthplace is a simple black granite stone. After his name and the dates, a depiction of a man walking away from a home with a sticking bag over his shoulder. The inscription reads, always remembered, still wandering. Oh, that's nice. Berwick is still healing. The memorial for Harley Lawrence was placed in a small garden at the funeral home across the street, very close to where Harley lost his life. Mm. The inscription on the monument there says, this garden is a peaceful place to contemplate and remember Harley Lawrence as a member of our community. It is about people coming together to heal, grow, and learn. Well, I do quite appreciate how the town, uh, in his death, uh, rallied around to support him. It's really, it's quite, it's, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. They moved the bus shelter just a few meters down the block, like literally just a few meters. Uh, the community didn't have the heart to build another on the same spot. Yeah, I can totally get behind that. Berwick is a lovely town full of lovely souls, one of whom is my birth mom. Mm -hmm. I love it there. Um, the murder of Harley Lawrence is just one event in an otherwise beautiful community. I, I can imagine, you know, we can't um, blanket any specific community out there by a few bad apples in it. <laughs> bad apples. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, right? Yeah. Berwick. Yep. Oh, well, yeah. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so if you ever have a chance to visit Berwick, do it. They've got some great little restaurants there. There's actually a, a store called Bargain Harley's. It's not related to Harley Lawrence, but uh, Bargain Harley's is a place where you can find pretty much anything. Hmm. It's kind of a great place. Hmm. The Union Street Cafe is fantastic. So that's uh, that's the sad story of, of Harley Lawrence. Yeah. Soar high Harley, right? Yeah. It's kind of what I said, mentioned earlier, like it's... <laughs> Life is difficult enough as a homeless person, but yet you're con we constantly hear about people assaulting them, uh, making fun of them, belittling them, torturing them. Like their life is difficult enough. They they don't need that kind of shit, let alone to be murdered. Like it's, oh, it's frustrating. I you talk about like victimizing people already down and out like uh yeah i think a lot of what happened uh, especially with the guilt around uh harley lawrence's passing may have been people becoming aware of their own prejudice against uh people who are quote unquote homeless yeah less fortunate yeah. less fortunate or or whatever yeah i mean harley was um his family said he was mentally ill and uh, that that was what was preventing him from being inside. He just couldn't be yeah. an inside person. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, without a doubt, mental illness, I'm sure, played a role because there's not very many healthy people who just say one day, you know what, I'm going to choose to live on the street. There's a lot of people who go off the grid. Yeah. But to say I'm going to live on, on the streets is not really the most optimal uh, place to be. So, uh, more likely than not, there's going to be some mental health issues. And I think you were mentioning it was like the town's first, like, I don't want to say official, but, you know, permanent homeless individual. 
Yeah. So, you know, I can imagine there being a lot of reflecting by a lot of the citizens after his death about how they thought about him. Yeah, for sure. It's sad. It's very sad. It's very sad. Um, yeah, I'm an underdog kind of guy. So, you know, I'm always seeing homeless people and having incredible empathy and hoping that they can, you know, life can get turned around. I love those success stories, but this poor fellow was, uh, well, he was murdered in, in, in a, Terrible, terrible way. In cold blood. Yeah. Yeah. I screwed up somewhere in July with our Patreon uh, subscribers, and I forgot to give a shout out to somebody. Who was that? Well, (laughs) it was, let's just go from, uh, uh, let's just say it was somewhere in the July. (laughs) So it was either, it was either. Like, I'm just so messed up with this. I do believe that I left Jessica Reinstein off the list, but okay. it may have been Tessa Sykes. No, no. We talked about Tessa Sykes because she's my friend. Okay. she so, That's Joel Sykes. So I think it was Jessica Reinstein that I missed. Yeah. Any other Patreons that we... That we missed? That we missed? Uh, I don't think so. Any new ones? Yeah, there are new ones. Oh, <laughs> That was this one song after we forgot. Yeah, exactly. Done. So, Tina McKenzie, thank you. Oh, hi, Tina McKenzie, and big thank you. Yep. Jillian, she is from St. Thomas, Ontario. Oh. And Tina McKenzie is from Winnipeg. Oh, very cool. Yep. Uh, Michelle Curtis, thank you very much. Karen Parker from Cleburne, Texas, or Cleburne, or... I don't know. I like the sound of Cleburne a bit better. Cleburne? Yeah, Cleburne. Yeah. Cleburne, Texas. Yeah. Everything's bigger in Texas. And in Cleburne. Yeah. Francesca Fraser from Francesca. Kamloops, a good British Columbia name right there. The, yeah, yeah. The Fraser River. Well, Francesca probably knows where Clearwater is, where I was born. So Absolutely. She saying. would probably know that. Because it's close to Kamloops. Hannah McCune. Uh, from Liberty Town in Maryland. Oh, hey. Welcome, Hannah. How about them apples? Thank you all for, for that. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just so tired. I'm still tired. I spent the whole day putting together uh, this uh, studio and uh, doing a little work around the house and finishing writing this episode. So yeah, Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, it is. It is. It feels good to be back into our cases and, you know, going over some new uh, some new topics. Thank you so much, everybody, for your pledges. We really appreciate it. If you want to donate to us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine or send us some donut money via PayPal at our email address to darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And we're totally still, we still stand by. If somebody wants to uh, uh, give us 50 grand, we'll fly out and do a live episode at your place. Just saying, that's still out there. You want to do that? Hell yeah. For 50, 50 grand, yeah. That's what I was saying. Remember, that was like our early thing. We're like, we'll come, we'll have like a, a bearskin rug in front of a fireplace and tell you stories. And Also, we want to say thank you to... Evelyn Havelin. Oh. I like that what name. What a great name. She sent us some PayPal money. Oh, sweet. Thank you, Evelyn. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like uh, I might have missed one on 
August 9th, Ellen Ashbaugh, she also sent us some uh, donut money. Jeez, thanks, Ellen. Yeah, so Evelyn and Ellen, thank you very much for uh, sending us donut money. Uh, let me tell you, I did eat an entire dozen donuts. I watched you buy them. and I, Well, no, I took one of your dozen, so you couldn't eat them all. I, I probably had nine. That's good. Yeah, no, it's not good. That's debatable. I think it's great. Well... They're delicious donuts, man. They were good. Yeah. Check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Tell your friends about us. A lot of you have. I appreciate that. Scott appreciates that. Yeah, word of mouth has been our uh, best marketing, so keep it up. It's Well, I don't know. When Christy uh, mentioned us on the Canadian True Crime Podcast, which is number one on the uh, charts this week. Rightly so. Rightly so. I mentioned that uh, you had been binging. Yeah, no, she messaged me to say oh, thank did she you. Today? Super, yeah, super, yeah. super sweet. It's She deserves every every positive thing I said. I was I was chatting with her today, and uh, I mentioned that... Uh, that you were doing that so. yeah no it's it's uh, i'm a big fan of her podcast cool uh especially fun is our closed group uh the yumber yard we're really active in there uh, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory like itunes podcast google play stitcher TuneIn, or spotify don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple not a bad apple like those two bad apples we talked about today dill weeds anyway that's it for this. On to the after show. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.